Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. The doorknob is the story, right? It's the entry point into what you're doing. And if the doorknob is too complicated, it's too much a how instead of a what, you know, your people have probably heard this, but people generally don't buy a how. They generally buy a what, like what is the result I'm going to get here and why do I care about that? So you want to make the doorknob pretty simple. Let them come into your world if they're the right person. And, you know, once you got them back behind the scenes and you're doing a second session or you're letting them into a webinar or maybe you're signing them as a client, then you can explain, you know, your 87-step philosophy or whatever it is. Make it real easy for people to walk in the door. Welcome back. I do hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with Karan Nijuan, founder of Closed Dream Clients, and with Dr. Catherine Lloyd of Maverick Minds and author of Seriously Playful Creativity, then do go check them out. Well worth a listen. But stay here, listen to today's conversation first. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Alan Melko Moore of Super Tight LinkedIn. Alan has done brand consulting work for Oprah Winfrey, for the American Marketing Association and the Zappos guys, and now creates and teaches LinkedIn social selling strategies for some of the top thought leaders in the digital marketing space. In our conversation today, Alan talked to me about using LinkedIn to test your target audience and message. She explained that instead of telling people what you can do for them, start to teach it. And she also came up with the idea of the doorknob you put in people's hand. And of course, the story that goes with that. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Alan Melko Moore. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Denver, Colorado in the USA, Alan Melko Moore, who, according to Forbes, is arguably America's top LinkedIn thought leader. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Alan. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Uh, Very, very happy to be here, Jürgen. I'm very excited. Can't wait. Now, we met through Jason Van Orden and Michael Roderick, who were guests on our episode 275 and 327 of the Innova Buzz podcast. So, big hello to Jason and Michael. Yes. And um, 
your specialties, LinkedIn, you were telling me just before we started recording that Forbes have commissioned some extra articles for you to write for business trends in the coming year. So I'm really excited to dig into some of those business trends, but particularly how we use LinkedIn and, and your expertise on that. And you mentioned a quote there about the um, worst girlfriend you didn't have, but the other one that I read about you saying about LinkedIn, the world's most boring party filled with the world's most brilliant people. So, um, yeah, but before we start talking about all things LinkedIn, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Ellen? Uh, I think my work tends to appeal to, you know, kind of the high-end nerds of the internet. So <laughs> lots of former, you know, people who are big in corporate or big in academia or big in someone else's traditional system and, you know, a little smarter than the average bear. And so I see my job as taking, I'm a translator for often very complex and sometimes pretty deep ideas and to figure out how that's going to fit into the marketplace and how that story is going to get told to help that person go to the front of the line very quickly. We're really big on that because I was lucky to have that experience early in my career. So I know what it means when you can skip ahead some steps and and get to do that and so that's sort of what i what i want to give my my super nerds is, hmm. is how i think of it yeah all right so um super nerds uh, they're the people that have expertise in specialty areas they're very smart at what they do but not really good at um telling other people that they're in a position to help them i think some of my people are very very good at it they're just not good at it in LinkedIn. And so part of the reason they're confused is they're quite popular other places, uh, mm -hmm. but not on LinkedIn. So there's that piece. And then others of them, I, I don't think anybody does their own brand story by themselves as well as they could with some outside help to help translate what an audience is going to get out of that. I, I don't do this for myself well. Um, and so most of the people I've met who are in those fields who help tell stories and shape things and brand and marketing, they sort of feel like some of those people think, oh, well, I should be able to do all this by myself. But what we have to do is really get into the psychology of the audience and what they're thinking and feeling. So it really can help to get some help with that kind of thing. Does that make mm. sense? That's how I think. Yeah, it, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, getting into the mind of the audience. And I, I think that's the, the concept behind your brand or your business name right super tight marketing or super tight brand which is um, yeah. and you, you certainly talk about really knowing your audience there and um, so what what are some of the things that we can do to get that really deep understanding of our target audience of the people we can help and then put ourselves in the position of seeing things from their point of view well, for your listeners who are into um, various levels of transformation and personal development or even quantum physics, you know, they say the first step to addressing something or changing something is just to accept that the problem is there. And that's actually a pretty big deal uh, because a lot of people are not aware that the problem's there or to the degree that it is there. And we have fun little acronyms for everything. Um, I'm a former English teacher, cultural studies teacher, so I like to have acronyms. And we call this EES, Extreme Expert Syndrome. So basically, the more expert we are at something, the more levels of mastery we have, the more we've studied, practiced, helped people, 
often we are in the world of all that and we're thinking about explaining things in terms of how they work or explaining things in terms of, you know, these are the features or these are the benefits that are here. And that's not the best doorknob to put in the hands of your audience, explaining how something works or why your methodology is different. And like I said, it doesn't matter how much people know about this because knowing about it and practicing it are two totally different things. So I think people hear all the time, target audience, get in the mind of your audience, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And so we kind of say, yes, okay. And we, you know, sort of simplify all that because we, if we're sort of those super nerds that I'm talking about, we want to get quickly to the Mm. benefits of why what we're doing is so wonderful. And what we're asking people to do across the board, and especially on LinkedIn, is think about the doorknob that you are putting in people's hand. So the doorknob is is the story, right? It's the entry point into what you're doing. And if the doorknob is too complicated, it's uh, too much a how instead of a what, you know, your people have probably heard this, but people generally don't buy a how. They generally buy a what, like what is the result I'm going to get here and why do I care about that? So you want to make the doorknob pretty simple. Let them come into your world if they're the right person. And, you know, once you got them back behind the scenes and you're doing a second session or you're letting them into a webinar or maybe you're signing them as a client, then you can explain, you know, your 87 step uh, philosophy or whatever it is, it, it, it just give make it real easy for people to walk in the door. And I think a lot of folks, again, the smarter we are, the more we're guilty of this. And that includes me as well. So that's mm-hmm. why I have to have other people check on it for me. The smarter we are, kind of the more we, we want to get into all these details. And so you, you just give people a chance to come in that door and make sure you're not being a high cost transaction which you are being if you're making things too complicated for people to Mm. even come in. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And I was having, in fact, I've had several conversations recently with people around how, as individuals, I mean, I certainly fall into this, underestimate the value of simple things that we know how to do, that we take for granted that we know that we know how to do them. And, you know, I've had this experience so many times not recently because we haven't had in-person meetings, but where I'm in front of the computer working with a client or doing something and I'm explaining something that is complex and, and I do something and they say, oh, hang on, how did you do that? That's amazing. And I thought, what? <laughs> and it was just the little thing. So it's kind of like there's these two things, isn't there? We tend to jump into the complex and try to explain the complex and yet, it's sometimes just these little things that we almost take for granted that we know how to do that other people find amazing and, and value. I, I think that has a lot to do with our education system. And I'm sure it's probably very similar where you're from is that if you're the sort of person who's been rewarded since early childhood with how smart you are and the fact that you know things, um, and then that sort of continues high school, college, grad school, whatever, I, at least the people I've talked to, and and I know I feel this way, just understanding that you have this extreme expert syndrome, uh, you know, we're we're riddled with EES, and then to just keep looking at, that's how that is. We're the expert in this matter, and that's fine. And, And we don't need to be any different. We just need to 
have other people look and help us get what are these really simple benefits and transformations that we provide that perhaps nobody else is providing for this type of person. So we talk about ways to make the story more compelling and more super tight. And for any of your listeners who are musicians or involved in dance, anything to do with music or performance, when something is tight or super tight, it is, it, it is just on point. You get it. It's all folding together very quickly. And I think even as listeners, we can tell when a performance of some type is, is really on the mark, super tight, or if it's, you know, there's just sort of some wandering around. And so what we're doing on LinkedIn, uh, Jurgen, for 10 years, I've been working with people on making brands more super tight, or if you prefer this terminology, hot or not, you know, front of the line or middle of the pack. And what I found is that, you know, one of the easiest ways to make this happen, uh, and you don't have to be especially creative either to, to make this work, is picking a more specific target audience. And then people don't want to do that. They, their first reaction, and this is, it's really important that people get this isn't intellectual. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, or how good you are at business. It's an emotional reaction. And I have it too. And, and the reaction is, oh, I don't want to cut out this possibility or that possibility. Yeah. So we make things harder, you know, because if you said 15 years ago, my target client is coaches and consultants and service providers, that would have been a very specific audience. But now today that doesn't mean anything or not mm -hmm. very much. And so you're making it harder on yourself than it needs to be. But again, people, you know, don't quite know how to, how to make it tighter. What we found is that you can use LinkedIn to test this audience, test articulation. And then if you're not quite in the right spot, you can change that very quickly without spending a bunch of money on Facebook A-B testing and all that kind of stuff. So for example, um, if, a, if a person is the head of a digital marketing agency and you know she makes her brand tighter by deciding to specialize in women-owned uh, companies. Well, that's great. But what if she goes even tighter and has a business that specializes in women-owned law firms, right? Now, mm. hold that line and pretty consistently she can literally go to the front of the line. And if she's not sure, if someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I'd like to test that audience, but I don't know. Well, go ahead and test it on LinkedIn uh, you know, for two to three weeks and see what happens. Because here's the deal. If you're not getting regular clients from LinkedIn anyway, why does it matter? Don't mm -hmm. go ahead and change the rest of your brand. You leave your website and everything else like it is. Just test this. And we have found time and time again, um, we get people started in this world of LinkedIn and we take somebody who's a specialist in all this different transformational stuff. And we say, okay, on LinkedIn, you're going to be the person who helps women with the new energy of money, specifically exemplified by crypto and DeFi. Her initial reaction may be hesitant because she also does transformation around health or some of these other things. Hmm. But if we can make her on LinkedIn the wealth expert for women, especially having to do with DeFi and crypto, pretty quickly, she's going to be willing to go out and, and put that into the rest of the brand. So I think that's one of the things we're doing that's a bit different because my interest in this 
isn't so much as, you know, a social media expert, but I like getting people to the front line. That's, that's it. Mm. <laughs> and this is a way to test that to make it work. And, and if it doesn't quite work, if it's not quite the right target audience, um, you can make some changes pretty quickly and you didn't spend any money. You didn't waste a resource. It's not like during that two to three weeks, you lost 18 clients off LinkedIn. Like anyway, so that's, mm. that's kind of how we're looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's kind of an easy way to do a bit of an experiment, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, exactly. I guess the only thing I'm curious about is, let's say, I mean, taking your example, let's say the main website is all about um, transformation in, in a holistic sense, so mm -hmm. health and finance and business and perhaps relationships. So I'm just imagining that that might be what the main website says. And, and then somebody finds that lady on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. says, oh, I'm, I, I really want an expert on um, crypto and mm -hmm. SoFi and right. that sort of stuff. So I will connect, I'll find out more. They go to the website and they say, hang on, there's a disconnect here. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things about that. First off, if the, we, I think we kind of make a little bit too much of this, like that people mm -hmm. aren't going to buy just because the website is a little bit different. If you do a good enough job getting someone interested in educating them instead of talking about yourself, yeah. teach some cool things with your profile, people will generally come back and say something. Like say they're really interested, but they go look at that more general website and be like, oh, I thought you were doing this, but here mm. I see you're doing that. They'll let you know. And secondly, mm. you can also just go ahead and put together a quick one-page site mm. for your new offer. It takes a day you know, just get some of these basic pieces in and, and, you know, test those two together. And I think that's an excellent question. It, it's certainly worth thinking about, but generally we don't find that during that two to three weeks, the rest of your brand falls apart. Uh, if you're going from yeah. something more specific to something more general. And I think, I think people in the field who are buying these products often are people who've experimented quite a bit themselves. And so I think people get it, like that it's just natural over time, your offers and your products or your services just get more and more refined. Now, that's the, not the only way to make a story, a brand story more compelling, but it's an easy way. There's mm -hmm. other ways to get it done. It's just, it's, it's like in all the years I've been teaching this, the initial reaction is always, I don't want to do it because I don't want to cut anybody out. And yeah. so I'm not claiming this is totally pain-free, but it's a lot more pain-free than never taking the chance and finding out what could happen if you go to the front of the line. Like, mm. that's it. Yeah. And what, what I like about that strategy is it is fairly easy to change the LinkedIn profile and for a couple of weeks just spend all your efforts on that particular segment. Yeah. And if you. Yes. Whereas exactly. if, if you said I need everything aligned, then then it actually becomes a huge task to change the website. And and you don't even know. You don't even know if this exactly. is a better target yeah. audience. We have people say, oh, well, come work with you on LinkedIn once I've redone this website and done some discovery and all that. We're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> come here first. <laughs> like whatever you do with your website is your own business, of course. But often, again, once we've got the story super tight, front of the line kind of thing, well, then we can go out and make changes to those other places. And I'm a big believer in doing it fast and easy. And 
most of my clients are, are fairly type A, detail-oriented people. And so this is a little scary. But at the same time, my job is to help people double, triple, quadruple revenue. And I know that one of the easier ways to get this done is start tight and then go out a bit further if that particular vertical is working or if you find a lot of other people coming in. I love picturing it as an archery target and your middle circle is that perfect target audience that you're positing. This is really positioning is really what it is. So what's funny is for years I've sold branded positioning, which is a hard thing to sell. It's a bad doorknob to put in people's <laughs> hands because they're like, brand they go oh yeah colors shapes logos, logos. i'm like yeah, yeah yes that also some other things and positioning it's kind of like who wants to pay fifty thousand dollars for positioning i mean that just sounds ridiculous which mm -hmm. i totally get so once we said all right we're linkedin experts we just put a better doorknob in, yeah. in people's hands and i think i think people understanding or listening to this you can do a lot of this yourself you can test a lot of this and then basically how do you test it well, pretend your profile, pretend it's a conference for your most desirable target audiences. And that could be the prospects. It could also be referral sources, or if you like power partner terminology, whatever. Those people are in your audience. And your profile, your personal profile is the conference that you're hosting. And I should be able to go to any room in your conference that you're hosting and learn from you. And if I'm doing that, I am going to come back. I'm not just going to connect with you. I'm going to say, oh my gosh, like what you said here and what you said here, that's really cool. And so now we have a conversation that started because, because that now I'm engaged in that way. So then let's say for two weeks, you reach out to some people who are that target audience and you do some connection requests, you engage with them in a kind of deeper way. You will know. In, in two weeks, whether this is kind of landing. And as you say, I mean, you have to do it. You have to have some consistency. But we're talking about 30 to 60 minutes a day on LinkedIn. We're not talking about you have to be there all day long. Um, I always say to people, take the 30 to 60 minutes that you're currently using that does, for some marketing effort that does literally nothing, like literally. <laughs> we can always find one, right? Yeah. And then just experiment with this. And that and that's how you'll know if, if there's some some traction you can get here, um, becoming an active an active user for this. So this is why I'm so hyped on this topic, because for ten years I've been I've been sort of selling around the edges of brand yeah. positioning, but now I've got a way I can test it, and that is like miraculous to me. So that's why I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, I love it, and I love the reframe of the whole marketing. Now, before we started recording, you. You said something, and I think this is a natural progression in terms of branding and marketing, um, and, and I love the way you expressed it, and that was 2018 called, and it wants its marketing back, and thing, you know, the, the paradigms changed, how we market, how we position ourselves, how we position our brand and tell our story. So, yeah, explain that quote well, a little bit more. Yeah, we say 2018 called, it wants its, it wants its marketing back, and the way I see it, 2008 to 2018, um, I call the eight-page sales letter years. So those that was a period of time on the internet from, from approximately the development of smartphones a little bit later and, and early social media for about 10 years that almost everything you saw was, was persuasive in nature and generally also manipulative. 
So that's kind of where you get sort of the, the way pe- people are selling with sort of false scarcity, like, you know, I'm only taking the top blah, blah, blah people into this program. Or, you know, you get into, you try to buy something and there's 18 pages of, you know, don't you want this? Don't you want this? Don't you want that thing? And, you know, if it's vitamins, maybe you do. But if you're trying to actually buy a service, someone's coaching, consulting, online program, like sometimes you don't really need to be jacked up that hard. And so what we say is that decade was sort of this decade of, of uh, questionable integrity and, and persuasive manipulation techniques. And you can see when people are still kind of marketing that way because they feel that they have to. Hmm. And so everything's like, look at me. I'm so wonderful. My business is so wonderful. Let me tell you about how different and wonderful I am. And that's, you know, I, we talked earlier about the difference between, between talking about how you're going to help and just start helping. So we see that the pandemic has changed this in a major way because there's 25% more people online now. There's a couple hundred million more people on LinkedIn than there was in, in 2019. And so we've got all these people and what every single person is doing with every single website and every single LinkedIn profile is to talk about why they're better and different, you know, which we've all been taught to do. And so it's not like it's bad. It's just that's what everyone's been taught. And so now we're moving into a paradigm where the people who are the most successful, instead of instead of talking about how wonderful you are, just answer people's questions hmm. and about this topic and not not about how your service is so great and wonderful, but answer people's common questions. And if you're not sure what those are, go ahead and Google a phrase that would be in your industry. You know, you Google like, um, you know, just Google the word podcasts. Look at the five most common questions under Google, and then you know they, they people also ask bit, and you know see if those would apply to your audience. And so the point is, with a profile or with a website, whatever it is, if you start teaching people really useful things about your field in general, about sort of the overall brand, if you will, of their industry, people will stick around. Because at least on LinkedIn, they've done studies that found that 74% of people are going to buy from the very first expert who really changed their mind about something. So if I'm a person who reframes LinkedIn for you in a way that you know resonates, and let's say you hear two to three or four other people later say very similar things. Well, if price tags are the same, of the time, you're going to come with me because I'm the person who changed your mind about that. And that's an enormous advantage. If somebody hears about you from someone else and Googles your name, your LinkedIn profile is the first thing that comes up usually. And so this this is what we're talking about when we say 2018 called and it wants its marketing back. We're, we've moved on from this place yeah. where everything is just about persuasion into a place where I think it's the ultimate revenge of the nerds right now. The, the teachers and the people who are really willing to, uh, to use their material, newsletters, websites, LinkedIn profiles, to teach really cool things are, are tending to vacuum up uh, the lion's share of the efforts right now. And I think that's pretty cool. 
So if you're if you've mm. never been good at that type of stuff that people some people might call salesy, uh, awesome. This is your time. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just going to say that um, to me, and maybe that's because I'm one of those nerds that you described. To me, writing those sales letters and and I never wrote them in that unethical way I didn't do things that I felt unethical but I did feel as though I needed to give more information and more information and writing that long sales letter felt like extreme hard work it was really difficult for me to do and yet if you say to me what are the three most common questions about podcasts I'll just click on my video and record a video off the cuff like that it takes yeah. me, you know two or three if you say answer that in two or three minutes I can it'll take me two or three minutes to do it and that's, and that's it. And even from an SEO perspective, that makes sense. If you're answering a common question frequently in lots of your content, you're going to start, you know, coming up the scales there. What you just said, Jurgen, though, is perfect. Like it's the difference between sort of trying to follow this model, um, even of ethical persuasion techniques, because you sort of feel like you have to, and you're supposed to. I remember mm -hmm. a few years ago, it was about 2018, I was studying with one of the webinar gurus of the day. This person I think is still known as sort of the, the leading lady of the world of webinars. And she was talking about these free webinars that you host to get people into your program, et cetera, et cetera. And I followed the formula that she recommended and I just felt like a total idiot. I had like six slides, maybe more, seven, eight slides in the middle of all this, poking people in their pain points. You know, talking about like, oh, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, it's so frustrating. How are you going to feel? And I just felt like an idiot because I don't talk like that. Like that's not, I, I think people understand what the pain points are. They don't need to be poked in them by me. What they need to see is I understand what they're going through. And I have put together some solutions that speak to those things without constantly like jabbing them in the liver with my pain point knife. And so I gave the webinar the way this re expert recommended a couple of times. And I just, I, it, it, for me, it did not resonate. It was not coherent. So I took out the eight slide pages of where we talk about, about how sad your life will be without me. <laughs> and I put in some more pages of information and, and teaching slides. And then I was able to, to actually perform quite well as far as sales, because for me, it was easy. In the same way you just talked about, if we answer those common questions, you're proving to people, you're developing trust, and it's so much simpler. And I think people who are who are kind of more teachers or lifelong learners, like this is our time, like this moment. And um, it's a great way to do it because actually, most of the rest of the internet hasn't quite caught on yet. Yeah. So if you if you look at newsletters, websites, LinkedIn profiles, you'll see that you have a window here to jump into this opportunity that's pretty cool i think hmm. yeah that's that's always the way with these trends if you get in early you have a huge advantage yes uh, yes exactly it's as simple and i was sort of going a segue here but it's as simple as reacting to linkedin connection requests or putting out linkedin request connection requests in a way that makes you stand out and um, there's a couple of simple things you can do there that I think, which is, is a little sad. You know, I always think, well, that's a little sad that that makes you stand out. Like, for example, when right. reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, actually send them a message why you, why you want to connect. 
as well. Don't just hit the send connection request button. Yeah, and make that make that connection about them and mm. not about you. So if you think about the first words, like say you're looking at your, uh, you know, the, the section of your LinkedIn where you're finding out who's tried to connect with you and whether they said anything at all, you're going to, as you pointed out, or just sent you no note whatsoever. Mm. If the first few words in that note are about me versus being about you, it's amazing. If you if you go look at that portal, kind of where your incoming messages are, and you just look at the first few words of the requests that are coming in, you will see the difference between the ones that the first sentence is about you, Jurgen, versus about me. So for example, if the first sentence is, I am trying to build a network of blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you see that, right? Versus if I say, yeah. Jurgen, your podcast is the best. Like. Mm. It doesn't have to be complicated, no. but I'm, you know, just demonstrating, like you said, and you're right. It is crazy. <laughs> I think, I think this is another common mistake though, because I think people think of LinkedIn as if it's exactly the same as other social media forums. So then what we see is people get upset if they can't get those 30,000 followers or connections. Mm. So if this works this way on Instagram or Twitter, why shouldn't it work here? And you and you have to get that LinkedIn is the oldest social media platform. It's older than Friendster or MySpace, and it wasn't designed to be a social media platform. That's not the point of it, according to the people who run LinkedIn. So if you understand it's about networking and about developing a deeper network, and if you operate within that context of of the way LinkedIn wants you to operate, generally things will go better. And so that's sort of social selling versus lead gen is another way to think about that distinction that I think, and it's just amazing, you're right. But I think people are thinking of it like it's Twitter. And so th yeah. they're just gonna send out a hundred invitations today and see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah, well, like we've all been there, I mean, I. I can't remember when I was first joined LinkedIn. It was still in my corporate days. And in those days, it was primarily a resume site. Yeah. I guess in, yeah. in the back of my mind, it was, yeah, this is cool. I'll go on LinkedIn because if I ever want to look for another job, that was probably a good place I can send people to to find out more about me. And and my profile then was all about me. Here's what I've yeah. done. Here's my experience. Here's my qualifications. This is what I'm good at. Um, and I had reviews and I built up and, and I reached out to anybody that reached out to me, I signed up. But in those days, like today, if I connect with the wrong person that's reached out to me, I often end up getting the first message saying, hey, buy my stuff. Right. Um, yeah, we call very, that. Yeah, it's very rude. That's connect and sell. Yeah. So, but I just wanted to point out, like, me too. Ditto every single thing you said. I also had that profile for a long time. And then mm. after that, I had what's called what I call the sales letter profile. And that's where I talked about how wonderful and different I am, um, in addition to my past history of accomplishments. So I sort of moved on from resume CV into sort of the sales letter style. Mm. And you see that too. And I had that as well. And so when I've talked to people, I, I don't, I haven't met with like the C-suite people at LinkedIn, but I have talked to people fairly high up the LinkedIn food chain. And they believe that LinkedIn is, is for helping people find jobs. So almost everything they do on it 
is for that. And my feeling when I talked to them was sort of like, oh, that's so cute. You small business people are using this for lead generation. Like, like they were kind of like, <laughs> oh, that's darling, you know, and, and they weren't particularly interested. And I think that'll change, obviously, uh, and, and they should be hip to it a little bit sooner. But anyone who's listening to this, who, who like, I wish I could show you pictures of all the past iterations of my profile and exactly what you described. And, and so I think people are just sort of trying to catch up in their minds. Like once you have the context of what LinkedIn is for, and then you understand the beauty, the sheer maddening, gorgeous beauty of the fact that 99.99% of people on LinkedIn have absolutely no idea how to use it. Hmm. So, you know, it's, hard to stand out on Twitter or YouTube. There's a lot of creativity there. LinkedIn is pretty easy because all you have to do is sort of move past, you know, you talked about the one paradigm, which is connect and sell. So, you know, I've just met you here by my, by my stuff. Yeah. And then the other paradigm is connect and forget. We've connected and I'm never going to speak <laughs> to you again. Yeah. So if you, if you adopt even some very basic parts of this and then do it with some consistency, 30 minutes a day, you'll be surprised how quickly you can, you can master this platform past almost anybody you know. Because mostly what happens is people put their stuff up. They never look at it again. Writing it was a pain in the butt. They don't want to do it again. I mean, who wants to sit around updating your online resume? Come on. And then people sort of try to do the same stuff on LinkedIn that they've done on other platforms. It doesn't work. And so you'll hear people say, oh, it just doesn't work. I don't, I don't get clients that way. And so then they'll pay one of these illegal services that is sending out hundreds of connection requests mm. per day, which if you know, people don't know that if LinkedIn finds that out, they're yeah. going to take away your profile. And so the whole thing is just sort of mired in this swamp of kind of miss different people's contexts, not really getting it, even the platform itself. And you know, you were talking about creator mode before we got on. And that to me is a classic example, like LinkedIn Live, creator mode, all that stuff of, of LinkedIn itself not really being clear on the direction it wants to go. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm still puzzled a little bit by it. The response you got from the LinkedIn executives, because I mean they sell advertising, right? That's their oh, yeah. primary that's their primary revenue, and I imagine it's not the big corporates or the the individuals in those corporations that are posting resumes that do advertising. It's small business. So you know, I don't. That's an excellent question, and I don't know the answer to that. And I will find that out because that's a really good point. They they just the ones I talk to. Literally, they were polite and everything, but you could see that they were kind of confused. Like, why has this mm. person gotten onto my calendar? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's an important question is, is who is buying that advertising? So we should, I, I don't know, but I can't wait to find out because that's really intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned creator mode. I was going to ask you about creator mode because I heard you speak about that on a recent podcast and I think your views were kind of a bit mixed on that. You didn't sound convincing to me that you thought it was a good idea. I recently had an experience. Um, well, actually, when they first brought out LinkedIn Live, I thought, oh, that'd be cool to do live on LinkedIn because I was using LinkedIn actively and I thought mm -hmm. I'll, 
apply for that. And I looked at the criteria and they were that you had certain number of minimum, certain number of followers, which I ticked, um, that you posted regularly good content, which I thought I ticked. And so I applied for it and I never heard back. And then I kind of reminded them at some stage and they said, you're not, you're not eligible. And then I sort of followed up about a year later and they said, oh, it's in the works. It's not available to your country yet. And then recently I had a conversation with somebody who said, well, they're rolling it out to everyone now. So try again. So I lodged a support ticket with them and I said, you know, I've got creator mode enabled. What do I need to do to get, um, LinkedIn Live and also newsletters, which I didn't have available. I right. said, here, here are your instructions, but I don't see that those those links in in my creator mode page. And they came back, oh, we'll, we'll we have to elevate this up uh, to our developers. We'll get back to you. And then they that, that, I'll, that's I'll, perfect. And then they ultimately came back and said, oh, it's not available for you yet. That's like, that's perfect. That is that story right there. Every listener like that, just it, that is a synecdoche of the situation in a nutshell. It's, it's so funny. So probably what happened that first time is your application, like several other million applications went into some basement of the LinkedIn building where there were millions of those. And then some poor intern took out like 10 a day, reviewed them and gave permission. I'm not kidding. Um, because most people didn't give permission. I know people here in the States who were the top LinkedIn experts as far as popularity, as far as number of people, as far as the people, like they were recognized as the leaders in this space. Mm. So obviously you'd think LinkedIn would want them there because they would be bringing more money to LinkedIn. I, I know one person who, who probably was the leader at that time, a couple of years ago, maybe it still is today, and she applied eight times and nothing. So like I said, I think it just all went on a big, big pile. And then there was some poor intern trying to figure it out. Well, a lot of people are mad about that. So then I think they kind of got it together in whatever way they did. So now I've heard a lot of people who have applied recently were able to get it. And these were mostly American people. So I don't know exactly how it goes country mm. by country. But um, now the problem is those people are doing LinkedIn Lives that nobody is watching. And here's where we get into the confusion, because if you don't get why, once again, let's go back to our poor audience. Why are people on LinkedIn? Why are your people there? What are they looking for? Do people get on LinkedIn because they want to watch an hour of video? No. People get on LinkedIn because they want to look through some things quickly, probably establish their personal brand, right? They're sort of trying to develop that. So here's the problem. I think the reason, and I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I think LinkedIn added creator mode. And by the way, the way they tell you to do the video at the top is just awful. Don't do it that way. But LinkedIn did that because they wanted the glamour and buzz of YouTube and Twitter. They wanted to become a creator focused place where people, you know, people spend hours and hours and hours on, on YouTube learning and watching different stuff, right? Well, mm. LinkedIn wants part of that money. So it wants people to spend more time and it wants people to develop brands there. And I think what you need to get is we can see that change coming over time and it very well could come. But the reason that videos often, you know, don't perform as well, according to LinkedIn itself, which is pretty funny. Like if, you know, they're like, oh yeah, you need these videos, but also they don't perform very well. So I think I suspect, I don't know, but I think the reason is people go on LinkedIn for sharing their own digital brand 
if they're going to learn something, they want to learn it quickly, right? They don't want to hang out on LinkedIn for an hour. And Mm -hmm. so they don't want to listen to your hour long podcast, not right then. So like the thing I think is, is more exciting is the newsletter stuff. I am excited about that because what I've done so far is, you know, get people on the profile, interact with them, do one-on-one messaging and connect. And then I either want them to sign up for a Zoom call with me or join the newsletter. And my whole philosophy for my newsletter is all about the open rate. So I don't, I don't need thousands and thousands of people. I need hundreds and hundreds who are opening that newsletter 55 to 65% of the time. Like that's what I'm going for. So it would be, it'll be interesting to see what happens if part of that can come from the LinkedIn profile. And I am interested in that. I just think really pay attention to this and don't necessarily throw all your eggs into that creator basket. And if you do, make sure what you're doing is really short. Don't do videos on LinkedIn that are longer than 40, Mm -hmm. 45 seconds. Now, if people are dying for your 40 to 45 second videos and requesting more, then by all means, give the people what they want. But we see that people don't stay on those videos uh, for, for very long. And I think that's why people aren't really into LinkedIn Live. It's because when you go on Facebook or YouTube, you're going for fun or relaxation or you know to learn. It's not the same reason. So take all of it with a grain of salt and mm. Jurgen, your own story illustrates why this is so confusing and messed up. Because the people at the top this is this is owned by Microsoft. Those people, they what they want is a piece of the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter yeah. dollar where people are going to spend more time. So, but the, they're not going to actually take the time to train the audience to do something differently. They're just going to put all this stuff out. And so, I don't want to discourage people from experimenting. I just want people to understand how deeply weird the leadership is. And so, on LinkedIn always better. Go a little slower, go a little deeper. Don't throw all your eggs in the creator basket, like test it Hmm. and see what happens before you go crazy on all that. That's really it. And and again, I could see this coming around and I could see them getting better in the future, but right now it's kind of a mess, honestly. Hmm. Yeah, like you, the the newsletter one, I mean, initially I thought LinkedIn Live, that's that's cool because I spent much more of my time on LinkedIn. And so doing a live show on LinkedIn appeals to me a lot more than doing a live show on Facebook. Yeah, me too. Do a lot there. But then, yeah, then recently with those conversations, it was the newsletter one that really excited me because that's that's got a lot of potential. It does. Because again, if you're there to learn and you're Mm. there to give people these quick hits of really useful knowledge, I could see that lining up. Jurgen, have you ever heard of the book? Um, oh gosh, it's it's called a. I'm blanking right now. It's a French sociologist, and it's it's called it's about buying on code. And I'm going to get the title wrong. Hopefully, I'll remember it in a minute. But basically, this guy's he's paid millions of dollars, French sociologist, by by corporations who help him figure out what the code is, the kind of subconscious code in various mm. people and countries. So, for example, like. They, you know, Jeep called him up and said, um, we want to, we, you know, should we, should we make SUVs? This is in the nineties. They were getting pushed out by SUVs. So this guy goes and studies the kind of primal buying code for people who buy Jeeps. And he finds out 
that people who buy Jeeps in America on a very deep level associate this with, um, they associate Jeeps with a horse. So if you look at commercials for Jeep in America, they're mm-hmm. always about a Jeep going somewhere a horse can go. Well, yeah. in Europe, the code was about rescue, the sort of primal response that people had to this. And so in Europe, the commercials for Jeep are about rescue because of World War One and World War Two, And there's a very deep association with those Jeeps coming in and being part of something good. So the point of this story and the poor guy whose name I can't remember is you can't sell against code. So people already have a code for what LinkedIn is. Hmm. And, and we just have to understand that that's there and then sort of operate within that. And then if we're going to change that code for people, we just need to go in just little pieces and kind of lead them gently. Because again, people don't get on LinkedIn at eight o'clock at night in front of the fireplace with their, you know, their glass of wine, yeah. like they do with YouTube. It's just not the same thing. Hmm. So that's where I think some of the, the problems come in. But I felt the same. Yeah. I was super excited to have it. I was denied it like eight times. And then by the time I got it, I was like, ugh, people. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and so what I do is I do Facebook lives on like other people's Facebook groups because I can't stand Facebook and I don't want to spend all my time there. But if I've already got, we're a big believer in what we call OPP and that's other people's platforms. Yeah. Like I don't want to do all this work by myself. So I'm, I do lives for other people's Facebook groups. Hmm. And you know, if I do one of those a week or whatever, I will pull in some pretty good clients from that other person's efforts of audience building. Hmm. And then I don't have to spend all day like putting my own brand together on Facebook because I don't care and I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a bit you're a bit like me on that. I've sort of um in fact I've in some ways cutting off my nose to spite my face in the sense that um, many years ago, I set up a Facebook group for the cycling, little cycling fraternity oh, cool. that we built up in our local area. Now, back in when we started this, it was back about 2005. There were six or seven of us. And I think when we got to about 10 or so, somebody said, why don't we set up a Facebook group and we can just right. post on there when we're going out for a ride and yeah. people can see and they can join us. Um, in the meantime, that cycling fraternity is up over 100 people. Um, and I hate Facebook like you, so I don't even pay any attention to it. And then, you know, often I'll go out cycling and I, and I meet somebody and they say, oh, why weren't you there at 5.30 this morning? Because we all went out for this for a coffee before the ride. Or right, you know, right. I didn't know, but I, well, I was know. on Facebook. <laughs> well, and this is this is where, you know, the, the, the book I have coming out is called The World's Most Boring Party, Filled with the Planet's Most Brilliant People you know, AKA LinkedIn. Hmm. And I think for me, my experience is that people with the money and, and the sophistication and the willingness to pay for real help are spending their time on LinkedIn for my clients. They're not, they're not hanging out on Facebook all day, posting pictures of smoothies. And they probably are doing the fun stuff, like what you described, like being in a biking Hmm. group or a knitting group or a dancing group, like they're doing that. But when it comes to where do they go when they want to buy, they are more likely to take LinkedIn seriously. And, you know, like you, I'm a small business. I've got a partner. I got a few people that work for me. I don't have all day to hang out on eight different platforms. And so once I understood that LinkedIn was where the serious people are, it's just taking a little time to kind of learn that system and just get like the pros and cons. And then once you do, and you can kind of get over yourself and again, the extreme expert syndrome, 
I think there's a lot. We have we have a client who is making a million dollars a month purely from LinkedIn. A million dollars a month. And believe me, this person didn't sign up and go, you know, Ellen, what I really want to do is spend two hours a day on LinkedIn. <laughs> but once we got rid of some of the other things he was doing that that weren't a great effort for him and weren't producing those results, it's not like I had to persuade him. It's just over time, he really started to see, okay, consistency on this platform is where I can, where I can make those kind of jumps. And I think, I think it's just being informed ahead of time that there's a lot of weird stuff going on that may not be in your best interest and, yeah. and just be kind of skeptical. But at least as far as I know, LinkedIn has not yet been associated with any Cambridge Analytical, Analytica scandals. Yeah. And so we've, it's got that going for it. And, and, and I, think, I think understanding the reason that people get on these platforms, if you're not understanding your audience and why they're there, a lot of what you're doing is going to fall through the cracks. Hmm. Just a lot. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's a, a big one, isn't it? I mean, I think it's a big one for any branding or marketing. Yes. Hmm. yes. All right. Well, um. Just watching the time here. We've been going for quite some time. I, I know your editor is gonna is gonna hate me. He's gonna be like, "Don't ever on it." I know she she loves it because she learns from these each time. She says, that, "Okay, yeah," you know, because I I talk about um, how each episode is a masterclass for me that I'm privileged to have, and then I get to share it with my audience. What I forget to say is that my editor comes back to me and says, "Wow, that was an amazing episode," and I learned so much from that episode. So she loves it because she has that masterclass as well. What's your editor's name? Althea. Oh, it's Althea. Hey, Althea. Sorry if I'm going on for too long. Thank you so much <laughs> for everything you've, you've done to make this possible. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if there's anything else in all that that you think would be useful for people to know, I'm sure there's other bits of this we could cut out that maybe aren't that useful. So do you mm. have any other questions or topics? You I, want to well, I did about? want to touch on what, one thing before we move on to the buzz, and that's video. You mentioned you know, we talked a lot about the live video and you mentioned that um, people are not likely to watch for a long time on LinkedIn because they're there for different reasons than they might be on YouTube, for example. And you talked about 40 to 45 second videos. So just give us a little bit of an insight into what you think about videos in general on LinkedIn and what the best practice is. I think what matters on LinkedIn is consistency. So if you like doing video, you should do video. And if you don't care for it, don't force yourself to do it just because somebody's talking about how it's so much more effective. It may be or it may not be. Um, I think it's good to have short videos in your featured section of you teaching something. So for example, the three questions that you wind up answering the most, do native posts on LinkedIn of yourself doing a short video answering that question, explaining something. And you can put those videos in your featured section, which basically allows people when they go to your profile to kind of get those quick hits of really useful information. Now, often when I go there, what I will see on other people's stuff is, again, like this hour-long podcast episode in your featured section. I don't know you yet, so I don't want to listen to your hour-long podcast. Like usually, like give me a better doorknob. So I think that's what we recommend. We recommend people have, you know, 40 to 45 seconds, certainly not longer than 90 seconds, and start there. Um, make sure that your videos are transcribed. Um, you can use a, a service like Temi or Rev 
um, if, if you're, if, if they're not transcribed, it's not going to play as well. Cause something like 85% of people are watching LinkedIn without the sound. Hmm. So you want those videos transcribed. Um, and again, there's services that do it that are very cheap. Um, test that. This is really it. Like test those videos, see what the response is like, see if you're answering people's questions. Do you get engagement? What does that look like? Because remember, the other thing to know about LinkedIn, besides the fact that the algorithm is the worst boyfriend or girlfriend that you ever had, LinkedIn itself is, is it's like a crappy junior high. And the algorithm is judging you the second you walk in that door. So when you post something, depending on how popular or not popular you are within the first hour, that's how many people are going to actually see that post. So you know, you need to get a bit of engagement going kind of out the door and then sort of see. And, and I'm not saying you can't succeed with video on LinkedIn. I'm sure some people can, but I would be short, brief to the point, and I would be very compelling on camera. And if that's, and otherwise maybe video is not your jam and that's mm. okay. I don't think you have to have video kind of in the way I think certain people are very good at video, so then they can produce these case studies that show how great video is. Yeah. But I'm skeptical. <laughs> Just because it depends. I've seen people put so much time and money in this, and the truth of the matter is they're not compelling on video. They're mm. much better as a writer, or they're much better in doing infographics. So does yep. that answer your question? That's kind of how I yep. think of it. Yep, that's really good. So the bottom line is run some experiments, and LinkedIn's a good place to do that. Yeah, and try it for a couple of weeks, see what happens, and then mm. and then move on from there. Yeah, and before you spend all this money in a particular campaign, test some stuff out, see what happens. Mm. Great. All right. Well, this is fabulous, but um, we are getting on in time, so I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. I ask the same five questions of each guest, and the idea is you'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result of the answers. Not that you've already inspired. I was going to say, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Bring different parts of your life together that don't always, that you don't think of going together. So we tend to sort of study and think of subjects in silos. You know, this is over here, that's over there. Um, I see some of the most innovative things happen when people bring different areas of their life together, different interests. And I think that's literally one of the best things you can do is if there's like something you typically associate with, say, business and something you typically associate with like a pleasure um, or a private interest, sometimes those things can come together in a pretty interesting way. So bring different parts of your life together and, and get them on a play date. See what happens. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I've, I've started doing so I'm a hobby photographer, as my regular listeners know, and um, I've I've started using the lighthouse metaphor as, as um, you know, getting a consistent message out there, shining your light, standing out yeah. in the crowd, getting the message out. And I, going through some of my old photographs, I realized, wow, I've got lots of lighthouse photos there. I must, I must have a thing about lighthouse that, that must be, you know, it must have come out of my unconscious, that idea to use the lighthouse. <laughs> and it was, and it was there all the time. It was yeah. there all the time. Yeah. And so I've, now I've, I've, I'm much more conscious when I go somewhere on the coast. I, where's the nearest? Is there a lighthouse nearby? And I'll go right. take some photos. And I started using my own photos of lighthouses as 
as backdrops for web pages and, and that's, various that's things. That's gorgeous. And it's a perfect example. Would it be okay if I say something not against innovation, but a caution to innovation? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We see people who tend to, you know, sort of prosper in these fields who are often very inventor, big picture. We call them the big, sexy future people. And we see them wear themselves out with idea after idea after idea after idea. So, you know, I've been talking all this time about testing. So now I'm mm. going to go back on my words because the other thing we see is someone who will be just starting out with an idea. They'll do something with it for two weeks. It doesn't go anywhere because they haven't had any consistency yet. And so not only will they drop that one idea, but they'll drop everything associated with that idea. So mm. ultimately, all this testing is meant to get you to one place and one place alone. And that's a place where you know who your target client is and you're consistently showing the same lighthouse to that same client. Because if you're constantly innovating on your message and your target, it, this is an incredible waste of time. So do your testing, but don't, you don't have to keep adding innovation after innovation in yeah. business. People don't buy Coca-Cola because it's so innovative. It, 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 it have really, the biggest thing I see is after people sort of find this bright spot, they expect this instant success. And then, then I'm like, show me 12 to 18 months of your consistent work in this place. What? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. love innovation, but, but understand it takes the rest of the world time to catch up. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and the Coke example is a good one because um, I remember a time where they, was it sugar-free Coke or Coke light or or something like that? New Coke, yeah. And yeah, yeah. That, that bombed out really badly because everybody said, no, this isn't the same. This isn't what we want. Yeah. yeah. Why? <laughs> Why do we have to have it? Because normally in sales, you know this, if you slap the word new on anything, that like makes it fly out the door. Mm. But sometimes people just want consistency. Yeah. <laughs> So right. be careful with your innovation. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? It's the best thing I've done. I listen to my audience. Hmm. Um, I'm an idea person and I always have a brand new, wonderful idea. Um, and I have a partner who every day wakes up and goes, nope, 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 nope. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so I, I try to get out of my own way. And, and I, I have someone in my life who consistently checks me on the brilliance of my many brilliant ideas. And then we go back to the audience. Like, what do they have to say about this? Hmm. I don't need to come up with great phrasing and great marketing and make great messaging if I just let them speak. So that, listening, hmm. let, let them talk. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Let them speak is um, important too. And, and then listen. All right. Now, favorite resource of yours you use most often? Now, it might be LinkedIn. I it's it's a it LinkedIn is again the worst boyfriend I've ever had, but we have been going out for some time. I guess so that's a favorite resource. Newsletter, definitely. Hmm. Definitely love the newsletter, very important part. And oh, I know one we do that's a bit different for some. I love my Zoom honey trap. So the honey trap is a phrase that I kind of made up for the first meeting that I'm going to have somebody come to, where instead of it being a discovery call or a networking call, it's a honey trap call. And that means it's a meeting I'm inviting you to that you want to attend because I'm going to give you something. So in my case, it's a, I give you a LinkedIn profile audit and I try to give people ideas that they can easily implement and take away themselves. 
And as a result, I never have trouble getting people on Zoom meetings because some people don't kind of like the vagueness of like, let's network. Hmm. And then other people don't like the pushiness of let's have a discovery call, like slow your roll. So if you invite people to a phone, a Zoom that they really want to attend, you will just be amazed at some of the results you can get. And I'm jokingly calling it a honey trap. I'm not trying to trap anyone, <laughs> but I do want to make it something that they'll benefit from and enjoy and hopefully tell other people about. Hmm. Well, as somebody that's um, flown into your honey trap yes. <laughs> and participated in, in a couple of those calls, I have to say that you know, they were hugely valuable. I've taken action as a result of those yeah. in you know, implementing some things in my LinkedIn profile. I'm playing around with some ideas and it's probably yeah. about three weeks now. So um, you know, I'm starting to look at what are the results, what's happening. Beautiful. And that go that's a really important thing too, is that great referral sources, great friends, great people that you can collaborate with in different ways are worth more than any one client. So mm -hmm. sometimes people are so anxious to get the client that we sort of miss these opportunities, which is something that can keep on giving. I've had people on LinkedIn who have never paid me a dime and they send hundreds of thousands of dollars of business my way. So that's mm -hmm. good. A honey trap call with anybody who's kind of the right person who kind of knows how to behave this way and be collaborative is a beautiful thing. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're getting some benefit out of that. All right. Okay. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Best way to keep a client on track? I think setting up the expectation in the beginning, this is mm. what's going to be required of you. Make them, make them read all that and agree to that before they give you money. Um, so they, they, need, they need to be set up in the beginning that um, that it's their job too. And if people are reluctant to do that and they need like, and they, and they'll show you right away if they're not a good fit. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Okay, mm. great. Well, I can't, I can't guarantee your results. Um, we may not have to do this precise exact thing, but we do have to find something that functions in this place. Um, and then I think accountability, have some sort of tracker. Like one of the things we ask people to do is three to five invitations per day on LinkedIn with new people. And often if somebody comes and says, I'm not getting these clients, I'll be like, show me your tracker. Let me see your three to five people a day. Cause I'm not trying to catch them out. I just want to find out, are they maybe talking to the wrong people? Mm. Is it what they're saying? What's happening? And then they'll be like, oh, well, I haven't been doing that part. Well, that is probably why that isn't working. <laughs> you know, and I think I think you can always customize things for different people, but they have to at least try it the way it's designed first. Hmm. And then I'm willing to find another way around. But but I, I don't want to hear it didn't work when you tried it for three days. Like that <laughs> I, that's not enough data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. I don't know if it's human behavior or what, but um I mean, I know I've done this as well. You know, looked at the system. I've paid for the system. I've paid for the training, and I think, well, I can, I can modify that. <laughs> I can do that better. Oh, rather than me rather too. than okay, let's let's do it this way first. I, and I agree. If it works or or what? Well, whatever happens, let's see what happens, and then I'll learn from what happens, and then I can tinker at the edges after that. Same, same, same. I'm equally guilty of doing this with other people, which is why I'm kind of a hard ass about it up front. Because <laughs> I would be sneaking around. I'd be trying to get past it if it were me. So, yeah, I get that.
All right, now what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? The fastest thing is to choose a more specific target audience. That's the fastest and easiest. Um, the other thing that's important is, is a results story. So, so choice number one is go for, you know, instead of being digital marketing for women, be digital marketing for women-owned law firms. That's the easiest one. Hmm. Second uh, important way to differentiate yourself is by results. So you could have all the brand marketing bells and whistles in the world, but let's say you're trying to sell a business. And I tell you, hey, my client, Steve Brody, he helped one of his clients sell a business for $70 million that the client was told was worth 15 million tops. So before Steve Brody selling for 15 million, after Steve Brody selling for 70 million, that's a compelling specific story of results that matters. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, th I think those are the two top ones, results and, and going tighter. And then another one is just understand emotional resonance. So I have a client who is a SEO copywriting content agency that she runs. Her entire agency is run by nearly unemployable moms. So it's all women of 40 plus who couldn't get a job in corporate if it killed them, despite the fact that they all have multiple graduate degrees. Hmm. And when these people are writing your content, trust me, it sounds a lot more smart and better, more smart and more better. Nice English. It sounds really different than when a 25-year-old kid is writing your content. So if you have emotional resonance with that and you think, yeah, I want to give business to this, this company that's like, you know, let's just admit it's hard for 40 plus year old women to find mm. jobs. So, but I want really good content. Yeah. So, you know, understanding those three things I think is important. And that story, you know, the emotional resonance part or the results story. I mean, the results story, coming back to what you said earlier about that we kind of get too involved in the old style selling of more detail, more how, rather than the what. So, you know, that's a real compelling what, and it's very simple. And yeah, and let's say that you don't quite have those perfect objective results then I would start with the specificity, go after a more specific target mm. client. That's like the easiest way to get started. And, um, and then really pay attention to those results. Cause yeah, I promise you, I could tell you all kinds of things about how Steve Brody does that. But the difference is, do you want to sell your company for 15 million yeah. or do you want to sell it for 70 million? The end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And anything else on, if I were in the market for selling my company and I was in that position, anything you said after that, I probably wouldn't be paying any attention to you it. You wouldn't, I'd, yeah. I'd and be by the hanging way, out. In fact, I've I've had this experience where people have done video sales letters and they just went on and on and on. And after the first minute or so, I'm like, okay, where do I click? Where do I click? Where do yes. I buy? Where do I sign up? And then I've got to sit through half an hour of rambling on. Yes, that's like 2018. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm fine. Let's just go. You should you you would you would really like Steve Brody, and you might want to have him as a guest. You might want to consider him. He's a, he's a really interesting guy. Um, he's seventy two years old and having the best time of his life on the internet, and he is killing it. Hmm. So he's a former VP of marketing for Coke. Um, he was the youngest ever VP of marketing for Coca Cola, and he was there for the new Coke years. Uh, so he's got some some great stories to tell. But I think. I think the results thing is number one, because nothing ever makes people want to buy as much as I'll have what she's having, like period, that's yeah. it. 
And then the second way, the second easiest way is go tighter on a target audience because that's an easy move to make. And then third, just understand what's the emotional resonance. Hmm. If I say I'm the LinkedIn experts for the super geeks of, of the world, and, and if you're like super smart and you tend to make things too complicated, come to me. That's specific, but it also has emotional resonance because I'm yeah. saying I'm a, I'm a geek just like you. Hmm. I get it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, great. Well, three great tips there. And, and you've also dealt with our last question, which is who else should I get on the podcast? So we'll get an introduction to Steve from you. and uh, Stephen Brody, yeah. yes. And, um, and let's see, who, who else should you have? Um, let me just, I've, I've got several people. Well, um, let me, let me, because I have quite a few people, is it okay if I just think about that sure. a bit more strategically and then recommend like say three to five? Would that be okay? I'd love that. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. Do you have some parting advice for our listener today as we wrap it up? <laughs> I would say it's so easy to lose your joy when you take the thing that you love and turn it into a business <laughs> and and then you sort of becomes a grind and then you get sucked into hustle culture and all that. Mm. So do what you can do to keep the joy there. Understand that there's a learning process going on. It may take a minute for you to get up to that next level. And I think that, I think for me, picture these two axes. Axes? Is it axes when it's plural? Yeah, I don't know how I that works. So. <laughs> axes. So. Okay. So one, one axis, right, is kind of your personal spiritual development, your pathway, your passion, your pathway in life. And that's one. And then the other axis is the marketplace. And the marketplace does not care about your passion, your purpose. Now, there are people within the market who do, right? But the mm -hmm. marketplace itself isn't sitting there going, oh, I really want to assist Ellen with her passion. Nobody is waking up and saying, I really want to give Ellen money. I really want to make her feel good about herself. So often when people are struggling, it's because one or the other axis has gotten a bit muddy. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to enjoy it, most of it, as much as you can. And that's kind of your personal path of discovery. And then if you're struggling a little bit, it may just be a weird moment in the market. And if you're not looking at that, right? Like um, the New York Times said 4.3 million people applied for small business licenses in America in 2021. That was up 25% since the year before. We've got 10,000 people per day in the English speaking world becoming coaches, consultants, and service providers. That's 10,000 a day. So, and perhaps more. I think 10 is a small estimate. And, and all I'm saying is get that, get like, understand the market as well as your own pathway, because the problem is generally in one of those two areas. There's one of those two axes. Either, either you're, not really living your passion and your joy at this minute because you got sucked into some idea that was profitable, but personally you don't really care for it. It doesn't work for you. Or, you know, you are living that, that pathway, but you're not getting the huge financial rewards because you're not looking at the market realistically and going, oh, wait, there's only these 10,000 other competitors in this area. Yeah. So I think, I think following those two pathways is important. And and I, I certainly don't get them all right every day. I, I, I veer off axes all the time. But it's good to know that they're there is what I'm trying to say. Mm, yeah, I love it. And um, 
one of my recent guests said to me there's two things he asks himself every day when he does something and that's will it will it serve my audience and will it bring me joy so that's kind of the yeah. two axes that's sort of it in agreed yeah. it is excellent excellent very simple doorknob right there good job <laughs> good job that person yeah all right well thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today ellen actually i do, I do need to um, give you the opportunity to f tell people where they can reach out and find out more about you and even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh, Ellen Melko Moore on LinkedIn. I'm the only one. So you, you can't get me mixed up if you put my my middle name Melko in there as well. And uh, yeah, just reach out. And in, if you want to send a connection request, just in that first sentence, say, Hey Ellen, I heard you on Jurgen's podcast or whatever. That way, that my my person, my VA, won't have to write you back and say, "So thanks for asking, but may I inquire, like, what's your particular reason for doing this?" Because again, we don't accept connection requests that are just connection requests because mm. we want to know why. So, um, but but if you say why, I will be more than happy to connect and uh, more than happy to give you access to some of the materials we have. On, on how to use LinkedIn more powerfully for this upcoming year. So yeah, well, that's it. Well, there you go. Reach out on LinkedIn. Tell Ellen you heard her on the Innova Buzz podcast. Please. So thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today, Ellen. Really enjoyed this immensely. I've learned even more than um, what you've, you've added to what I've already learned from the two honey trap calls we had. And that, um, yeah, the yes. ideas I've got to... <laughs> refine my LinkedIn even more. So my half hour today on LinkedIn um, is going to be very focused. So thanks for that. Okay, All the best point. for the future and let's stay in touch. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jürgen. I hope you enjoyed that informative and really insightful conversation with Ellen and took something away from her episode. Ellen's message of choosing a more specific target audience, testing that on LinkedIn, and refining that brand and message really resonated with me. I also love her Zoom honey trap. I'd love to know what you took away from Ellen's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post and you can find that blog post along with the episode audio at innovabiz.co forward slash Ellen Melko Moore. That is E-L-L-E-N-M-E-L-K-O-M-O-O-R-E. All lowercase, or one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Alan Melko Moore. There you'll also find contact information, how to get in touch with Alan, as well as links to the super tight LinkedIn website, to Alan's social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Alan suggested that we have a conversation with Steve Brody of CEO Mastermind on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Steve, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Alan Melko Moore. I'd love you to leave a review on this episode because that really helps us know what you like most about this podcast and helps us make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz 
and you can pick your preferred platform for leaving reviews. Of course, you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including John Horn, CEO of the Stub Group, and podcaster and managing director of Blackmore's ISO consultancy, Mel Blackmore. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.